fellow pediatric junkies. My name is Natalie and today we're going to be doing things a little bit differently. About a month ago we released a two-part series interviewing Mary Jane Rapper, Sherry York, Cindy Miles, and Maria Jones about advocacy within pediatrics physical therapy. When we originally spoke with them, each had such a unique story that we decided to release this bonus episode for them to share their advocacy journey throughout their career so far. We asked each of them to explain their role in advocacy and how advocacy shaped their journey, and here are their stories. Enjoy! This is Maria Jones, and I am the current uh, Federal Affairs Liaison for the Academy of Pediatric Physical Therapy. And um, in terms of my role in policy, I really think it started when I was a new professional um, and I went to work um, at a residential facility for individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities and um, ran into policies. And actually, when it came to having surveys for those institutions, that sometimes didn't always make sense, given what we were doing as pediatric therapists. So that's really what started me down um, the role I will say in policies is is trying to figure out how those shaped what we did and where they were in sometimes incongruence and in other times not incongruence with what we did as pediatric therapists. So I would say that's what sparked my initial interest. And then um, from there, as I continued in my education, um, coding and billing, even though that was something I didn't do because I was working for state facilities, it always came up as part of the conversations when I would go to CSM. And so that intrigued me even more about how coding and billing kind of shaped what we did as physical therapists um, and may have been influencing decision-making in a way that was not so positive. So I, I think that's where policy development and getting involved with the association and really trying to figure those things out and then have input into how those policies get formed. Um, and then, you know, as my professional career moved along, I was actually became part of not only the APPT, but um, on the state level with our Medicaid agency, having um, a consultant role with many of our state agencies about uh, physical therapy services that are provided to not only pediatrics, but also adults and uh, adolescents and adults with developmental disabilities. Wow. So basically your entire career, you've been involved in the policy roles. Yeah, well, I, I think I've had them influence me in, you know, different ways. But yes, I mean, regardless mm -hmm. of the practice setting that you work in, you have um, policies that either shape or influence your practice. And again, sometimes in positive ways and sometimes in not so positive ways. So trying to figure out, um, number one, to know about them and understand them um, and not take somebody else's interpretation of what that policy meant. Um, and, and so, and really trying to use it. And then if there were policies that were uh, what I figured were barriers to practice is how could we provide information that would shape um, policies in a more positive direction. Absolutely. What about you, Mary Jane? Um, I previously served in the role that Maria has now as the Federal Affairs Liaison for the Academy of Pediatric Physical Therapy. Um, for probably about five years now, I've been um, serving in a slightly different role, um, which really takes on a, a different definition of advocacy as the chief delegate to the House of Delegates um, of APTA. So I 
am essentially the representative to the house from the academy. However, um, we are fortunate that we have a number of academy members who are also delegates in the house through their own state chapters or components. Um, but I'll come back to that in just a few minutes. Um, I have also been involved in advocacy in various ways for quite a long time throughout my career. I, I think I probably got sort of started along that path um, about, oh, maybe eight years or so into my career as a, phys as a physical therapist. I was working as a school-based PT and was um, fortunate enough to get involved in a um, master's degree program at a university that was near where I was working and living. And it was um, kind of ahead of its time in terms of a focus on interdisciplinary special education and inclusion of young children in natural environments and um, uh, inclusive learning opportunities. And I think that be, when you're sort of in, a, um, in a, an environment where you are pushing the envelope of what is considered to be the status quo, it sort of sparks some, some feelings, I guess, about how I can better advocate on behalf of these individuals. And then um, uh, because of a lot of reasons, which I won't elaborate on right now, I decided to pursue a PhD in special education and education administration. And the focus of my um, Doctor of Philosophy degree was in law and policy related to individuals with disabilities and particularly um, children with disabilities in educational environments. And as I became more knowledgeable about law and policy, I also felt a much stronger calling essentially to become an advocate because I felt like I had a knowledge base upon which I could rely and it gave me the strength to, and confidence to come forward and um, address situations or make statements that were not purely out of emotion, but also based on some evidence um, or, knowledge, or knowledge. And um, from that, I think it just sort of grew because I wanted to share that with my colleagues and um, started doing a lot more presenting nationally on topics related to school-based and early intervention law and policy. And I realized that I could not advocate on behalf of everyone alone, nor could I advocate on behalf of our profession, that I could best influence both the profession of physical therapy and the services if I could help others also have more knowledge in law and policy. And so um, that was kind of a direction that I decided to go and have kind of continued that ever since. Right. So you sound like you have obviously a firm base of knowledge when it comes to advocacy and policy. And as a new professional, I definitely don't have that. But I want if I wanted to get more involved, do you think as a new professional, there are avenues for us to kind of 
dip our toes in the water and start along this path? Or would you suggest practicing for a little while like you did before really jumping into that role? Oh, I would say there's many opportunities for you to be involved from, as you said, dipping your toe all the way up to full blown, like you're all in. Um, <laughs> I, I think that, and I, I could probably talk about those for a while, but there, there are absolutely many ways to um, start both practicing your advocacy and learning more. Um, for me, it started as my career advanced mostly because I, that passion wasn't yet ignited in me. So I think that whenever that comes to you as, a, as something that you have interest in, um, I think there are many, many ways to pursue that and you should never wait. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That's what we like to hear. So next we'll hear from Sherry. Sherry, how has your career been influenced through advocacy? Well, my first opportunities in advocacy came as I was asked to be the legislative chair for the Alabama chapter of the APTA, and uh, I had moved to the capital city, so it was a, a fit, and someone else was moving away. So very early on, I got involved in trying to promote direct access through the legislature. That involved talking with different potential sponsors and the eventual sponsors, and as well as the uh, opposition, which included the Medical Association of Alabama and the um, Board of Physicians. So that went on for several years, and um, in fact, we finally got some level of direct access passed. About three or four years ago, we made an attempt to make another change again this year, so that was an interesting way to learn how things really work. It turned out that I had several people that I actually knew from Montgomery or from my hometown. So you start off by going and talking to people that you have a connection with first, and then they can open doors and listen and kind of guide you of what you say and what you don't say. So that those were my first um, opportunities in advocacy for a legislative reason then I was involved in leadership and on the board for the section on pediatrics, as it was called at that time, um, looking mainly at advocacy for 94-142, which was the original law passed for the special education in public schools, and then it's now called IDEA, or Individuals with Developmental, um, let's see, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act and includes early intervention, preschool, and school-age services for children with disabilities. So we talked with um, both the APTA legislative staff at the time and even began interviewing lobbyists that we could use in the D.C. area. And that has just kind of occurred over the years in some of the people on the recording yesterday, Mary Jane and... Um, Maria, of course, have been involved in that as well as Susan Efkin and some of the other big wigs in the Section Academy uh, over the years. And then um, in my current role, I've, I'm the president of the International Organization of Physical Therapists and Pediatrics. And I was invited several years ago to participate in advocacy efforts at the international level 
with a gentleman called, uh, his name was Doug McCall from England, and he had conference calls related to providing health and medical care in places where families and parents and children naturally were, so there would be fewer barriers to access, and that included health clinics and health clinics being located in neighborhoods or schools. So we were able to participate in some of those calls. We had um, someone from um, the United Kingdom was able to attend some of the sessions that were held at a conference in addition to that, and able to represent pediatric physical therapy as a, some, a group that would want to roll in those sorts of efforts. Certainly we've had um, opportunities also over time and um, just even advocating for pediatric services among other physical therapists. So an example of that, um, Toby Long was the former president of the section and was the um, delegate at the time. And this was probably about 12 years ago. And she made a motion in the House of Delegates to have, um, it, it was pretty much to encourage physical therapists to be willing to see people, individuals across the lifespan of developmental disabilities and not just think that a 20-year-old or a 50-year-old with cerebral palsy had to go to a pediatric therapist. And so we were really talking about barriers and obstacles both in attitude and buildings and plants and you know different ways to have wheelchairs in the clinic and in fact we had several opportunities to meet and APTA took this on because the motion did pass and we had several meetings at headquarters with um, people from pediatrics and adult physical therapists looking at what the barriers would be and what we needed to do about it and it ended up being um, a CSM session at one point and then finally uh, the last one I can think of I was really involved in was um, particularly a PT from Emory University in Atlanta was working a lot with APTA on what to do and how to what is the role for physical therapy in managing and reducing obesity mm-hmm. This ended up being a group we met with as president at the time of the section. I attended a meeting in D.C. with the National Dietitians, um, ADA, American Dietitians Association, and attended part of their conference and spoke with a lot of their leadership. But then we also had a reception at the Senate chambers on the Hill with legislators and other advocates for particularly childhood obesity and what could be done to prevent that. So just kind of over the years learned a lot from some of the leaders in in the section in the APTA and then was called to just do advocacy locally, statewide, and internationally eventually. So <laughs> it's it's been a um, a wild ride. Right. I was going to say, I mean, you have participated on literally almost every level of advocacy that I can think of, probably from your own patients all the way to an international level where you are helping children, not only in the U.S., but across the world. So, I mean, it just really shows you how far you can go and how much room we have to learn about all of these issues. 
Right. And, you know, sometimes it just takes years before you see real change, but it's very encouraging to meet other people with the same concerns and passions. So it's, it's something I would encourage anyone to try to get involved or sit in on even before you feel confident enough to participate. Absolutely. And last but not least, we have Cindy on the line. Cindy, why don't you tell us a little bit about your role in pediatric PT and how it has shaped your journey through advocacy? Sure. Um, so I'm Cindy Miles. Um, I am the president of the academy at this point um, and also the, the co-chair of the uh, Aptech conference. So we tend to use that certainly as a, as a funnel for uh, increasing our advocacy and, and bringing that out there you know, with Mary Jane and, and, and Maria and myself and many other members to do that. I, I actually got started uh, early, too, just like my two um, colleagues and friends uh, way back in my United Cerebral Palsy days. Um, when you became an advocate when IDA was coming into play, because that's how long I've been practicing. So at the time, uh, we were starting our little preschool program, then our infant program. So definitely was involved in the grassroots of bringing that to the facility that I was in. But then at the same time, I was also becoming an advocate for staff members, because I saw that there was um, definitely inequities in how staff were being treated from the aides in the classroom to the therapist. So kind of became a little Norma Ray myself. And I know you're too young to know who Norma Ray was, but <laughs> I, I advocated for, for, for staff fairness and then for families to be able to receive the services they received. And as Mary Jane and, and Maria said, you, it could just continue throughout your career. I was uh, brought into the, I was active in our local association for bringing in direct access to our state and continue to, to um, champion for that throughout the career until we had that. Um, and then we have, we have direct access, maybe not the best of the country, but we have it continue to be like a key contact member for the private practice section and for our um, state association. And then when I went into private practice myself, after leaving United Cerebral Palsy, you certainly become a strong advocate for um, making sure that the children are receiving services, both through insurance and for, and with their Medicaid, as Maria talked about, Medicaid um, is something that we've been working on consistently as a group. And we certainly had to advocate for that, for our children to receive the services and our families to be able to receive the different equipment that they need and their eligibility. I was able to um, go to one of the state forums, the APTA state forums, and we sent out a, a survey to the individuals around the country just asking about Medicaid because Medicaid is, is a huge issue for all of us across the, the country that we're dealing with. And then in private practice, just making sure that each child is able to receive the services and the equipment based on either their primary insurance or their Medicaid insurance and certainly continue to advocate for early intervention as Mary Jane has said um, across the board. So it's interesting how we're all, how we've all kind of evolved throughout our careers and moved towards, you know, similar paths, but just in different directions. Um, right. Yeah. So it sounds like after hearing everybody's stories that as you go through your profession, and I would say that all of you guys are very passionate um, individuals and practitioners that you almost can't really help but be involved in advocacy at some level. Would you agree? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think it's it's, a, it's part of our career. And as you said, it's part of, of who we are. You get that passion because of, and I think it's because of the children and the families that we work with. Uh, children with di diverse abilities and the families, you know, they have so many different um, things that they're dealing with throughout their lives that for us to be a support system for them throughout um, their paths, whether it just be a minor issue or not. I always say that our parents are trusting us with their most precious gift. And you have to look at that 
that gift that we've been given to allow us to be able to uh, uh, engage with individuals with diverse abilities. And you have to ask yourself, if this was your child or your relative, would you advocate? Would you be satisfied with where you're at? And if not, you have to advocate. You're going to lose. We're not, we don't win all the battles. None of us do. But you have to advocate for every single one. Absolutely. I love that. What I will say is, you know, when you said from the get go, what I will say is I started out as a new professional and probably as a student, I didn't realize what I was doing was advocacy. So it was probably much later in my career and maybe even just over the most recent part when you talk about appealing denials, um, you know, submitting additional paperwork for equipment. All of that is part of advocacy and a part of educating people about what we do as pediatric therapists and why it's important to children and families. I didn't, I, I will say early on, I probably didn't call that advocacy because I likened advocacy to legislation or federal policy. I really didn't look at the things that I did on a day-to-day basis as advocacy Um, So I would say that's how my message has changed over the years is I now look at all of those things as advocacy efforts Um, and they could be on an individual level with the the children and the families that we serve on up to, again, a federal level when we're talking about federal laws, rules, regulations, that sort of thing. So I think that's something that definitely has evolved for me over time is just that definition of what is included in advocacy. That, thanks for thanks for stating that so well, Maria, because I think that um, people often confuse advocacy with being political mm-hmm. and they are not one in the same. In fact, they have very different functions, roles and measures of accountability. Um, and, you know, I, I my experience um, specifically around physical therapy and pediatric physical therapy has certainly been from the perspective of advocacy and I would say much less from the political spectrum, um, although I think there's room for both. Right. What I love about hearing all of these stories is that they're so different but have the same end goal. So I just wanted to thank you all for sharing your stories because I'm sure it will inspire some of our listeners as it definitely has inspired Josie and I to start being involved in advocacy. We hope that by listening to these stories that you have truly become inspired to include advocacy in your journey as a PT. If you haven't yet listened to our two-part advocacy series, they're both available to listen to on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Like always, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to leave a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Till next time, friends.